before Madeline comes up uh, to preach, uh, she's asked me to read some scripture, and that is going to be from Micah. It's not for Micah, it's six Micah. <laughs> it's six Micah. <laughs> Micah 6. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. May God bless those words to us today and bless Madeline as she brings the message. May we have ears to hear and hearts to understand. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I was away um, earlier in the week, Nick had two days to himself, I was, I was up in London with my friends and um, got home Thursday night and Nick said that Peter was poorly and before like I volunteered, the words just I volunteered without even really thinking about it. So that's really um, I had I knew that I had Friday and Saturday that to prepare. So I started reading. What can I? What am I going to say? What does God want me to say? Prayer and reading, and I did a little bit of reading, um, and then I went out to make a cup of tea as you do if you need a break. Put the kettle on. Started singing. What is that? And it was a chorus. Who remembers Ishmael? I know mine does. The Bible is where you sing the Bible scriptures. 30 years ago, we used to sing along to it. And it's, what does the Lord require of you? 
to walk um, with the Lord. So that came into my mind and further study and research follows. So, what does the Lord require of me? Do I just need to turn up at church? Oh, I must remember to say my prayers. I ought to be right, reading my Bible, taking notes, spending quiet time with the Lord. Oh, I must remember to sort out my tithes, change that direct debit, give money to the church. Oh, I might even must read those minutes for the church meeting, get prepared for the church meeting. I need to do this. I need to... Oh. Sometimes... Being a Christian, being a member of a church, can see presented with an endless list of things to do, people to care for, commitments to meet, and boxes to tick. But this isn't really what God intended for us, is it? Being a Christian shouldn't just be a box ticking exercise. In actuality, even if you do manage to tick all the boxes, one week and you get everything done, you'll be challenged about something else in next week's sermon. Or, why, have you, why don't you read this latest book by this new Christian author? Uh, or, have you seen this new Christian app? You should be looking at that. There's always something that you haven't done. There's always something more that you can do. We can become um, overwhelmed and just end up feeling inadequate. And sometimes, even useless. We keep striving, but we never quite make the grade. So what can we learn from what Micah has to say to us? So in my research, I found out that Micah uh, was a minor prophet. The book in the Bible is only seven chapters long, as opposed to those longer books, as some of the made from the major prophets. But he was living at the same time as Isaiah. But his writing was no less important, even though the book is shorter than Isaiah. In fact, they cover very similar themes, and according to David Pawson in Unlocking the Bible, <coughs> it's not really known who wrote what first, and did they copy from one another? It's not really clear. Um, from the reading that I did, but I am taking it that God was trying to say the same thing to the world, to those people then, to the world us, working through two, two different men at the same time. Micah came from the lowlands, from Shepherd. He was a simple countryman with a heart for ordinary people. Micah lived in the lowlands between the Philistines and the Jews. He could look up at the corrupt city of Jerusalem and down to the people of the Gaza Strip. Maybe it's a bit like us looking up to London, seeing all the strange and weird ideas that are coming from there, and then looking out maybe out to Jaywick, to Clapton, and all the strange things that go out there on the East Coast. Isaiah came from a more wealthy, upper-class background. And at the time Micah was writing, the corruption of the city was beginning to filter down into the countryside and corrupt the people that lived there. This made me think about how the issues that once used to be inner-city issues are now coming into more rural areas. For example, night crime used to be a thing in the big cities, but now 
we hear more and more about it in smaller towns and in rural areas and indeed in our own schools in these areas in our area and also the county lines drug um, training that we and lots of teachers at schools have to do now in rural areas the drug the drug crime used to be concentrated in the cities but now they're using children um, from underprivileged areas and getting them to travel from the country and out into the country so what was happening in Micah's time can sound familiar to us it's always amazing isn't it that we can read the Bible and relate it to our situation today Michael was trying to warn people of what would happen to them if they rejected God's teachings and followed the ways of the city people. So for us in our time, what does the Lord require of us? Reading um, from verse 6 of what Nick read to us, from Micah 6, verse 6. How can I stand up before God and show proper respect to the high God? Should I bring an armload of offerings, topped off with yearling calves? Would God be impressed with thousands of rams, with buckets and barrels of olive oil? Would he be moved if I sacrificed my firstborn child, my precious baby, to cancel my sin? Now I've paraphrased that, putting that into my own words for today. How can I show respect to God as a Christian and be the person he wants me to be? Should I work really hard, even maybe get a second job, so that I can give a huge financial offering to my church? Is that what God wants me to do? Would God be impressed with me if I spent every waking hour knocking on doors and stalking out supermarket um, waste bins collecting food for the, for the food bank? Is that what God wants me to do? Would God be moved if I sacrificed seeing, not but seeing my firstborn child ever again because I was always so busy serving the poor in my community. Would that be enough to make up for my sin? No. We know that nothing is enough to make up for us and we know that Jesus has paid the price for us. But Micah 6, 8 tells us this. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? We need to strip back our to-do lists and the pressure we put on ourselves to be the perfect Christians. We can never be that. But we need to be the best people we can be. And this mirrors what Nick did, said in the in these children's talk, quoting David Pawson, as Christians, we are people of eternity. We either give God a good name or a bad name. By what we do, we want to give God a good name. So, justly, have mercy and walk humbly. Let's look at those three things. So justly, the uh, de dictionary definition, according to what is morally right or fair. So justly means is according to what is morally right or what is fair. 
In our dealings with other people, Christians and people we meet in our everyday life, we need to act in a way that is morally right or fair. In some ways it's that golden rule, treat others as you wish to be treated yourself. But here, you know, justly, be morally right. And probably as Christians we think, oh, we do, we know we do the right thing. But I'm asking us to think now a little bit more about how we can be fair, fairer, in even the small things. Giving you an example of myself. I'm a very impatient person. When I go to the supermarket, I want to be in, I want to be out, I want to get going. So, oh, when I get to the to the queue, I can see, oh, that one's free up there. Oh, there's that old person. Oh, they're getting in my way. I can come quick, I can get around them. They're dilly-dally. You know what they're like when they get on the till. Old people have a chat with a person, they spend all. So I'm trying to get around. Is that the right thing? Should I, am I being fair to push in, make sure I get there so I can get in, get, get in and out quickly? No, that's not the right thing. That's not fair. That's not being me being a nice person, a good Christian. The better thing would, would be for me to allow the person to go in front, maybe chat to them, maybe help them put things on the conveyor belt, or Maybe just wait quietly and pray for them. We should act justly. We should act fairly. Do what is morally right. We, as Christians, are called to a higher standard. And it's difficult, but that is what we should do. So what does it mean to love mercy? The, def the definition, this is interesting compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone when it is within one's power to punish or harm i hadn't really we talk about mercy as christians we go oh, yeah we god's merciful but actually when you try and unpick these things and think about that what what that means yourself it, to us it's, it, it's different compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm we know that we are sinners and don't deserve God's love, but he is merciful and forgives us. So it's within his power to punish us for our sins, but he doesn't because Jesus took the punishment on himself. What does this mean for our dealings with other people? Who is it within our power to punish or harm? So that's what I was trying to think and unpick this. And then I thought of our families. Lots of families have fallings out. There's been fallings out in, in my some of my extended family more recently, which I did mention about my cousins who um, weren't talking to one another at the funeral of my aunt because they'd fallen out just as my aunt died. We don't know what about. And how sad, how sad was that? Maybe people feel badly treated by a sibling, I'm fairly treated by a parent. Maybe a parent has given more money to their sister to buy a house that they, than they did for you. In those family situations, we could, we could argue, fall out, and then decide not to see the people again. But that isn't, that isn't right. That's not showing mercy. Yes, we can punish and harm and snub, but that's not being merciful. Even though we're hurt, 
we should be able to show mercy. But then I sort of thought about it from the other angle. Many of us as parents, um, and many of us are parents, and we understand better the idea of showing mercy then, because we love our children so much that we do, don't we, forgive over and over again. We do show mercy. In my family, lots of you know, there's issues with my brother often. And I try to be supportive. And then I just have to distance myself from him because of his behaviour. But my parents never do. They continue to love him. They're always merciful to him. And as a Christian, I need to take their example and step up and be merciful, not show um, hurt, but turn away from that and be more compassionate. That's how we need to be with other people. We need to be compassionate towards people who irritate us or who do things differently to us. We need to be, we need to show mercy. So the third thing, walking humbly without God. What does that mean? Humbly, to behave in a way that shows or suggests a modest or low estimate of one's importance. As Christians, we need to have a low estimate of our own importance compared to God. We need to have a low estimate of our own importance compared to God, but also to other people. And this is the opposite of what we're having thrown at, thrown at us at society these days, isn't it? Um, it's not what we're hearing on the television or the radio. The opinions of all sorts of people are out there. They have a platform on social media. Humility is not a word that is used. It's all about how good people look, the things that they have. Um, you could look as good as me if you go on this diet. Um, if you follow me, buy my book, work out like me. Even to the point of people posting pictures of themselves in their underwear for other people to look at on social media. Who thought that would ever be mentioned in a sermon 50 years ago? <laughs> so it's not the way of the world, but it's, it should be our way. Humility is important. Having um, a low estimate of our own importance compared to God. But I would suggest that it doesn't need to be confused with timidity. We don't need to put ourselves down, but rather look up to God and to others. We shouldn't be arrogant and boastful, but we should speak up about our ideas because God has given them to us often and let others discover the layers of our talents. And that's from um, a quote from Bruno Martinez, Mind Tools. So to me, walking humbly with God is about walking in step with God, reading his word, considering his teaching prayerfully, and always testing out what we think we're being told with other Christians. Time and time again, I've had to come back to God and recognise that his ways are better than mine. There have been things or ideas that I thought were amazing, yeah, this is going to be brilliant, this is going to work, but that's been proven to be not what was best 
for me. God knows best. And it can be hard, really hard to acknowledge that at times, but walking humbly with God is best as it gives you an underlying sense of peace and joy. The Message Bible, written by Eugene Peterson, gives the Word of God, um, but with a more sort of conversational tone. And it, it can be really helpful in enabling us to understand Bible, Bible passages. So I'm going to close with that. So the same section that I've read before, but from the message. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbour. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Attention, God calls out to the city. If you know what's good for you, you'll listen. So listen, all of you. This is serious business. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the Bible and the words of the prophet Micah that we have looked at today. Help us to understand the message you have for each of us as individuals today and as a church. Help us to always act justly, to always show mercy and to walk humbly with you, Lord. Enable us to take you seriously so that the people we meet this coming week and see the good of God in us, your people. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.